0: Everybody. Welcome to uh, another episode of the Sin City Sluggers Live from the space facility here in glorious Las Vegas. Uh, it's a wonderful morning outside. I have my two co hosts to my left. Um, one who's celebrated his birthday this week, the, uh, the great Billy Corrigan. Happy 75th, Billy. Happy birthday, Billy. You look good for 75 huh? Look very, very well, mate. <laughs> and uh, to his left, um, the New York voice of reason, <laughs> the most stylish man on the planet. Um, Former amateur fighter himself and uh, sports handicapper Joe D'Amico, how are you, mate?
1: I am wonderful. Honored to be here. I gotta, we, I'm just so excited about our guest today. I'm excited about being here next to you guys once again. It's going to be uh, just an explosive show.
0: Marvelous. So listen, um, we've been very lucky that the guests that we've able to have on this show because of the nature of being in this city, and uh, we've had uh, we've had champions. We've had. Uh, the world's greatest commentators, and now we have the world's finest uh, referee. Most of, respected. Of, most respected, I'm one of the world's uh, very, very finest um, Hall of Famer, Joe Cortez. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. With thank
0: you. you for having us, and uh, thank you for being here. You, so listen, before we go any further, I, I, I tried to look up... I didn't realise until we actually did some research on this, that you actually fought to a very good level, had a great amateur career, won the gloves in new york and then went on to have now if this is debated is it 11 or 18 professional fights well
2: box players got me with 11 and, and one and my official i know when i fought uh, in mexico those eight fights i had in mexico i think maybe one or two were recorded but the other was were back in the early 60s okay but it was 18 and what as a pro
0: and that was all at bantamweight or featherweight
2: ba- bantamweight most of them were bantamweight was well, 17 what well, 18.
0: okay and like you said from from looking at the, the kind of stuff you you kind of gave up on boxing when you didn't get get a shot is that correct
2: yeah I, I changed managers about three times and i was about 26 years of age and i wasn't going anywhere so i said you know what i, I did what i had to do in boxing mm-hmm. i'm not going anywhere else. i think it's time to move out something else
0: yeah and that something else was you moved to puerto rico is that right i,
2: I moved to puerto rico i was born and raised in new york and my my wife and I decided to move to Puerto Rico and get into the hospitality business, which I did with the l one Corporation mm-hmm. back in 1969. Then I got the bug in me to come back again. So I, I fought one more time in Puerto Rico, ballet pro fight yeah. against a Dominican fighter, Salve La Chapelle, which I beat very easily mm-hmm. after three and a half year layoff. And then I I saw, you know what, nah, I'm going to keep to what I was doing, stay in the hospitality business. So I didn't continue with the pro ranks anymore.
0: Yeah. What What was the? It seems like a bit of a strange thing to go from being a fighter to going into hospitality and uh, you, I think casino management. Am yes. I right in saying? Right. And then come back and then what was the, what was the transition like going from boxer to hospitality manager <coughs> and casino management? into becoming a referee what was it was it the urge to get back in the ring but not wanting to get punched in the face anymore or
2: well no it wasn't that i really didn't get hit that much in, in boxing. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: well that explains <laughs> why you're so <laughs> handsome now <laughs>
2: God, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was like a like a floyd mayweather he didn't all get hit you know devin haney that i represent now is mm-hmm. in the box and i uh the name of the game is really to try to be sharp out there you know hit your opponent but try yeah, yeah, not yeah. to try not to get hit i never really got hurt in boxing yeah, So I walked away pretty normal, I think. <laughs> well, listen,
0: I mean, this is it. But um, like I said, it's um, we're very honoured to have you here. When uh, We actually met once uh, when I first moved to Vegas at Matt Gottish's show. Yes. And uh, we went to see Matt Gottish's show at the Mirage. Yeah, I did. And did. Uh, I couldn't quite believe you were there because, like I said, being British, you get to come to Vegas and see all these these people that you've watched on the television for, for 20, 30 years kind of thing. So yeah. it was yeah. amazing. And like I said, thanks for coming to see us. Now... Um, we always kind of talk, first of all, about the Hall of Fame. So you are inducted in 2011? Well-deserved. Is that yeah. correct? 2011. 2011. Right. He's wearing the ring, everybody. We'll, we'll stick a picture of that up on the social media later on. It's quite a, it's quite a thing. I wouldn't like to, to take a straight right off that thing. Um, but let me, let me just look at the notes here. You were inducted with, with Mike Tyson?
2: Mike Tyson...
0: Julio Cesar Chavez, Costa Zoo and the great British commentator, Harry Carpenter. And uh, we had Al Bernstein on a few weeks ago, and we were talking about what's it like? Does it really hit home how well thought of you are in the sport when you get inducted into the Hall of Fame with such class? Well, you and know, you're included get, in that?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I was, it was an honor for me. You know, I was first inducted into the New Jersey Hall of Fame, uh, and then I got inducted into the, uh, the World Boxing Hall of Fame. Then the International Hall of Fame we kind of saw in New York, and that was a great one. We went inducted with Mike Tyson, a Cesar Chavez, Sylvester Stallone, of which you know I, I did the movie with him, Rocky Balboa. Mm-hmm. He got inducted, Kaza <coughs> Zulu, and not sure a trainer, and myself. So, and he said carpenter. It was very. It was a great class in that 2013, uh, 2011, and 2013. I got inducted into the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame. Wonderful. So, you know, sometimes i got t- to pinch myself to say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
0: that was that was the thing. I think we, when we spoke to Alan, I think he went in with, like, Tommy Hearns and Michael mm-hmm. Buffer, and you're thinking, <clears throat> like, for me, this is like being a kid in a sweet shop, meeting people like you, getting to chat and talk about the stories and, you know, how you became, who you became, you know? So um, when Al was talking about the, the kind of people he went in, he said, like, this was – he just looked down the line and was just so inspired by – all the champions and all the great history that right. goes with every single person that was there, you know, so um, this is it. Do you miss it? Do you miss being a referee?
2: No, no, I don't miss it. I mean, I'm still active in boxing. I do a lot of things. Every day I'm doing something with boxing. So no, I really don't miss it because I planned that. That's why I planned it 10 years before I retired. I said to myself, I'm going on 35 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 25 years in, I was working with the fine referees out there and uh, they give you seminars around the world teaching referees and... I said, you know, I got Kenny Bayless, I got Rosamora, Tony Weeks. uh,
1: I was just with Tony the other night.
2: Yeah, nice kid, nice young man and uh, Mark Nelson from Minnesota, ben- Benji Estevez, and Mike Cortega. The only referee I've been working through all these years, they're getting them ready. When I saw they were ready, I said, you know, now I can step down. It's like a cushion. These guys were like a cushion for me. It wasn't going to hurt when I stepped down. Yeah. And I knew I'd leave boxing in good hands. So I said, 35 years after I got inducted to the Hall of Fame 2011, I said, you know, there's the use of staying around. I'm not on no ego trip. I think it's... To do what I had to do and help our other individuals, other officials, to get on top.
1: Joe, I know that uh, you—you've obviously, uh, as Jimmy said, you're one of the most respected guys, and not just in the sport, but in the world. You're always there to lend a hand for a charity or this or that. And living in Southern Nevada, living in, La- in Las Vegas, 30 years. I mean, I see at the grocery store, we used to go to the Friday night fights back in the day together. Even if you weren't refereeing, you would be in the, you're always in and around boxing. I know Jimmy's going to touch base on you getting into boxing, but I have to start off with a very important question, and I've been itching. I'm biting at the bit to, to mm-hmm. ask. Um, obviously, over the years, uh, you've refereed a lot of fights. You see fights at a much different perspective than anybody, than people sitting at home, sitting in the stands, the judges, and even the fighters, because the fighters themselves, they see a fight just their way. Sometimes a fighter will come out after a fight and say, ah, I can't believe they, I, the judge did, decided this. And you see it at a much different perspective. Over the years, uh, there's been nobody that's ever worked a corner that is more respected as a cut man or a corner man than Whitey Bimstein. Alright, now I remember certain fighters over the years. I spoke to some of the older timers. Uh, I mean, there are some older timers who told me, you know, you know, Whitey saved my butt during a fight. I was, I was cut during a fight. Not only did he stitch it up, he told me how to do this. But I, I was probably going to the fight was going to get called. Was there ever a fight you were involved with uh, that you were close to calling the fight, and not just because of a great cut man or corner man? Did the f- did, did a boxer? N- Keep going in the fight, but he probably came on to win. Does anything, because of the corner men, because of the cutman over the years, because I went through your, your, I mean, just the championship fights. There was quite a few great fights in there. that you, that you. But there was any fights you remember going, hey, I was close to stopping this fight, but I didn't, and the, the fight even went on to win. Anything come to mind?
2: Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, most recently, uh, Bones Adams uh, reminded me of that. He said, Joe, you know, it was because of you being the referee right now. They wanted to stop the fight, mm-hmm. and the cut wasn't that bad but they thought they wanted to stop and You said, no, no, it's still all right. The cut men are working good, and they, and they ended up stopping the bleeding, and he ended up winning the, the lightweight championship of the world. And you were talking about Whitey Bimstein, the great Whitey Bimstein, who was a great cut man. He had his partner with Freddie Brown. Mm-hmm. So it happened that when I turned pro, Whitey Bimstein was my cut man. Oh, my goodness. And, <laughs> and, um, and Freddie Brown was my trainer. He trained uh Roberto Duran. He was training at the San Gaspar Indian Ortega. But Freddie Brown trained some of the great fighters out there. And Whitey Bimsen was recognized as, as like the dean of all cupmans in the world because he used to be the cutman for so many great champions. I, I believe he worked in the corners with with uh, Jack Dempsey. He worked in with uh, Rocky Marciano. He worked with all uh, so many champions. They've been like he's like a like a. Uh, stitch duran yeah that, that worked sure. all, all fighters mma and boxing yeah. was uh, what he i remember he had a tip of his finger but was <laughs> cut was cut off mm-hmm. you know he had a, like a cut finger i don't I forgot which hand it was but i remember freddie brown they, they <laughs> were the team at uh, freddie brown and Whitey he you all see them together one day i was doing a fight up in boston at boston garden at boston arena and uh my opponent, Richie Gonzalez, who was my opponent for that night, Gaspar Ortega, was fighting uh, a welterweight by the name of Ted Whitfield from uh, up in the Boston area. And Richie Gonzalez, whom I had beaten in the amateurs into city bouts with New York versus uh, in New Jersey. I beat him a, a good fight in, in, in New Jersey number of years back in the, in the amateurs. And here we are in the pros. I don't know who I was going to fight. I got up there with Gaspar Ortega. I was the Gaspar Ortega's sparring partner. The great Gaspar Ortega, you remember, he fought uh, 29 main events in Madison Square Garden. He had 185 professional fights. And for one year, 1965, he had uh, 27 fights in one year. (laughs) He was fighting three or four times a week, Doing that. If you look at box, I don't Trek, fight
1: that much with my wife during the year. <laughs> yeah, you look at you look at
2: box track. You will see Galford take in 1965. You see we had 185, but that year he had 27 fights. So Galford take I was a sparring partner with him. He used to use me for speed, and when I got up to the Boston garden, I did not know who I was going to fight. When we got to the weigh-in, mm-hmm. it was Richie Gonzalez, my opponent. <laughs> I said, "Wow!" <laughs> so I was, So I'm there with Freddie Brown was with me and Whitey Benson and. They said, so you know, um, when we show up to the fight that night, because the way it was in the morning that night, he, Freddie Brown wrapped me, my hand wraps, put on my, I had my cup on, my trunks, I had every, my jack strap, everything on. <laughs> and, I, and we were waiting for my opponent, Richie Gonzalez. He's not showing up. We're waiting and waiting. And I told Freddie, I mean, I are supposed to be one of the first opening bouts of the card. So they had me waiting and waiting. And, man, midway through the show, I tell Freddie, Freddie, you know, I got go to go the, to the restroom. He says, and? I said, "Well, like I'm more, I got, yeah. I'm gloved up." I, I, I'm more, I know. So he said, "Come on, Joe. He had a he had a cigar. He always had a cigar. He was biting on the had the cigar. I thought he was going to swallow it. You know, when he was so pissed off, he said, Joe, you know, I I never done this in my life.' I said, you know, well, you know, I so I got to go to the bathroom.' So he takes me to the bathroom. He pulled out my trunk. He's all pissed off. Then he got to pull out my tie. I had over my cup. He had to pull out my cup. He had to pull out my jackstrap. Then I finished Pete and then." <laughs> And he looks at me, and I said, well? He said, Joe, man, I never had to do this in my life, you know? So he had to put my jack jackstrap back up, my cup, my tights over my cup, and my boxing into He was mad. He was mad. He was fuming. I never seen a, a, a trainer so mad. That is a great and story. Yeah, Joe. yeah. But That's a great phrase. You bet your wedding boots. I said, oh, my God, I got a great story. You know, story.
1: when you were when when a fighter or even when, when you see that, you've got, you know, because so a lot of times, many years ago, you didn't know who was – Going to be in your corner, right? You right, up. right. And when you have a guy like Freddie Brown, and a guy like Whitey uh-huh. Bimstein, that must be like walking down an alley, and all of a sudden guys are approaching, and all of a sudden a crew of your friends just pulls up behind you. You're not alone. You're like you're going into war with with the Marines. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, that's yeah. just that's that's an amazing story, Joseph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it's amazing. It's so listen
0: actually, we got just just touching on the cut thing. This is just something that's just come to mind now, and obviously from your point of view, uh, I don't know if you saw the Tyson Fury, uh, yes, whaling fight. Yes, I did. I was so, there, rigged So we were there, and um, there was, there's been a kind of a bit of a controversy about the cut that he got. That if it wasn't Tyson Fury that was cut that way, if it was Whalen was cut that way, they would have stopped the fight. Now, how, as as someone that officiated that was been in the ring and obviously primarily has to look after the safety of a fighter. Would you, would you have stopped that fight, or, or do you look at the magnitude of what the event is supposed to be about and give him the, the opportunity to continue? Well,
2: there's several things you look at as a referee. First of all, you have a doctor who's there mm-hmm. who can overrule a referee at any time when it comes as far as the safety of the fight when it's cut. You have to look, the doctor will look and say, okay, the cut is in an area that's not going to really interfere too much with, with the impairing your vision. Who's the cut man? I- you got to look at the cruiser coming in there. Are they taking control of the of the, of the bleeding? Are they stopping the bleeding? Sometimes Tyson Fury would wish he had a whitey bibs sting <laughs> in, his, in his corner because they, they didn't do such a great job of stopping the the, the bleeding. He had two cuts uh, over that right eye, and um, you know it's, it's something like like I, I'll give you an example when Mike Tyson bit Holyfield's ear off. Yeah, you know. Should he have gotten disqualified right out of the spot there? Or did they have to wait for the second when mm-hmm. he bit the other side? That's when he got disqualified when he bit the other side. You know? So you say if that was a four round fight, six round fight, would you have stopped the fight as a referee and disqualified, mm-hmm. Tyson right out of the spot, yeah. or you let it continue? The doctor told him, Hey, he's okay. He's able to continue. But, you know, it's a flagrant foul. When it's that bad, that flagrant, you have to make a decision. And uh, I can tell you that you know, that's a decision you have to determine. Is it that big, he, Is he really getting pushed around? He's not getting hurt that bad? Yeah. And know? who's in
1: his corner? So there's a lot yeah. of factors. There's a lot of factors that are going through go your mind as as the referee. Yes, does the fight ever come into
3: is what? Does the magnitude of the fight like stopping? You know, some fights when they get stopped early, especially yeah, in a yeah, big that's fight, what I was going to ask. Yeah, people would say, oh, you, we wasted this money, and we you know, bought the pay per views?
0: Well, 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 like where, where Fury's concerned, he's on a hundred million dollar deal. They're they're trying to push him in America. The you know, uh, assuming that Wilder comes through the Ortiz fight, it's going to be a big, big heavyweight matchup. title fight. It's going to be a rematch. It's going to be this and that. You know, Billy Billy hates Deontay Wilder. By the way, it's like a, it's like a running theme throughout the show. Ortiz, I'd love to get him Ortiz, on the show and just Ortiz. put like a, like a great in between the two of them. Um, <laughs> but you know, but obviously there is there is magnitude. You know what I mean? And you're and it must be the pressure on a referee, especially nowadays with social media and the amount of TV cameras that are there. It must. I mean, I mean. I think it takes a very special person to be completely and utterly impartial, which, of course, the great referees are. But do you has that ever, ever, have you ever even had a thought in in a ring when something's happened, thinking I'm going to have to stop this, but this is going to cause an absolute war after yeah. this. But I'm going to stop it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. But it,
2: it, it happens sometimes it happened to me throughout my career you know you had to make certain take certain decisions that you hate to do i remember disqualifying kirk johnson when mm-hmm. he fought yeah. john ruiz for the heavyweight championship i took a point from kirk johnson for excessive uh, low blows i did it the second time that you hit it lower you can get disqualified be careful i don't want to do that and then he did I, in between rounds i went to the corner said, don't hit him low again if you yeah. do next time you hit him low i'm disqualifying you I remember Mark Rodnick, the executive director, sure. I think ran around to the corner, told him in between rounds, Kirk Johnson, don't hit him low one ball. I Joe will disqualify. I know Joe will do it. Yeah. And sure enough, he went out there. I guess he was looking for a way out because one of the first punches he threw was a low blow. Yeah. And I automatically sure. just jumped in between them and I waved it off, disqualified him. Yeah. But then, you know, again, you say back to the fight, you know, what does it take a referee to make a decision like that? Well, you know, I have to do my job. And one of the things I also tell referees is, uh, I don't care who's in that ring, if a fighter is taking under 30 punishment, if you're getting hurt seriously, you got to start taking it into consideration whether you're going to stop it sure. or let it go. In the case with Tyson Fury, he wasn't really getting hurt. Yeah. It was cut, but he wasn't really getting hurt that bad. So all the factors took place that night. i should have sure the referee Weeks of, uh, a very good, yeah. well-experienced referee. He looked at it. He talked with the doctor. The doctor's been around. That they said, you know, you're not take any punishment. So, you know, if you start taking punishment, then I could say you could stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, apparently, Apparently Tyson Fury didn't, was not taking that much part but That's why he lucked out that they didn't stop because had they stopped the fight, he would have lost by technical knockout because the cut was produced from a, a legal blow. Yeah.
1: Now on the flip side, Joe, if you look at a fight and say, wow, this guy just went in a little too quick. I mean, I don't want to badmouth anybody today. We can talk about some yesterday. <laughs> that's no, a, that's no a I relief. don't want to badmouth anybody. <laughs> today is today. Well, you know, I don't want to badmouth anybody they? today. But I mean, as we go backwards in history, uh, Richard Steele with the uh, Chavez... Taylor fight was very mm-hmm. controversial. Last only seconds. Of, right. And going back even further,
2: now a guy I know oh, since but- I was... But before, you go into, before we get off the subject with uh, Richard Steele, I was talking to a gentleman who came yes by sir. the Nevada Basketball Hall of Fame yesterday, he was talking to me. He came in from Philadelphia. He says, Joe from Philadelphia. Yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. He says, uh, I've, I've, been, I've been seeing uh, Bernard, uh, Bernard Taylor. Mm-hmm. Melody fight- yeah. M- 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 Taylor, yeah. Melody yeah, yeah, Taylor, yeah. who got stopped by a child when Richard Steele stopped to fight. He said, Joe, you should see him. He's in really bad shape today. And a, you know, that
1: he swallowed like about a quarter of his own blood. He had a detached, no, crushed cheekbone. Yeah. But I mean, if we go back further, and I knew the guy my whole life because he used to fight for my Uncle Joe in New York in the 50s. Okay.
0: Everybody in Joe's family is called Joe, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay. We got Italian Joeys,
1: thing. Tonys, Louis, Salvatore's, an Angelos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, thank God. Joe's Italian. Ti- we got the same. Are, 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 at- are you Italian?
2: <laughs> I am Sicilian, yes. Sicilian, okay. Yes, I am. I you love know, it. You know they—they they got a lot of guys. Their name is Tony. Yes. You know yeah. why is that, right? I go ahead tell our audience. Okay. You know they got that Tony. They, when they're coming from Italy from to Italy. New York, they stamp on the forehead. Tony. To New York. I said to, <laughs> to New York. And I said, "Hey, Tony. Yeah. Hey, guess it is? This is
1: correct." <laughs> Joe, I want to even. We could go back further, and he's passed away now. He yeah. was a family friend. <laughs> uh, he was a he was a top referee in the eighties. I knew Joey Curtis very well. Joey Curtis, good man. Good I knew man. him very well. I mean, he was the be. I mean, he was a. He knew everybody in Vegas when I got he here. He right? was a good contractor. Uh, you know the. Yes, yes. I act my first job in Vegas. I worked for a contract Yeah, for yeah, him, yeah. And it wasn't the usual Sicilian contract. I actually <laughs> went with a hammer and nails and went to work <laughs> yeah. at, in 115 degrees. <laughs> Joey stopped the Dox Weaver fight in the first round. Dox Weaver. The Dox Weaver fight to unify the heavyweight championship. Right. One punch was thrown. He came out and said, "One punch." He said, "That's it." He said, "I don't want another Duke who came in my hands controversial fight." So you ever look at fights over the years that, that say, uh, obviously not with you because you're perfect. Uh, no, I'm not perfect. Nobody perfect. <laughs> well, well, I'm not God. Uh, but got I'm but not over got the years, it. where you think, "Hey, I think this has stopped a little too prematurely. Maybe they're being a little too <laughs> Okay, let me tell you yes, story. Sir. Let
2: me tell you a story. This is very interesting because this cover. I'm glad you asked that question. Back in 1994, I moved here from. Uh, I was recruited to Nevada by the Nevada State Athletic Commission back in '92. So when I got here, I, I was doing major fights like uh-huh. Tony, uh, like Bills uh, Lanes and Richard Steele. Sure. And uh, Davey Pearl, Joey Curtis. Joey. And uh, these guys, they were all out there at Bills uh, Lanes, And so they brought me to the picture. And they were a the, the younger referee. So here I was. In 1994, I was doing a fight at the Aladdin Hotel. And there was a fighter by the name of uh, Robert Wangila from Kenya. And he was a, a former Olympic champion. But he was on the downside of his career. And he was fighting a uh, fellow by the name of Fernandez. Uh, I think it was Frank Fernandez. And uh, and there was a pretty close fight. Going into the test round, they were back and forth. Every couple of rounds, I call the doctor to check both fighters. Nobody's getting hurt, but they were, you know, getting punched around pretty good. And me as a referee, that I've always given seminars and teach a referee, you know, I'd rather you stop a fight a punch too soon than a punch too late. And I remember, you know, when uh, Robert Wangila hit, uh, I mean, with Fernandez hit Robbie Wangila with uppercut, Wangila got a little hurt. Here's in the 10th round, the final round, and uh, Wangila, you know, was holding on, and Fernandez pushed him sure. off, and he pushed him. He flew to the camera. I said, no knockdown. When he, he when he got up, I say, close to the action. Then uh, Wangila took a left and a right, and I jumped in and stopped it immediately. Sure. And the people were booing me, and Wangila said, come on, ref, I'm okay. Why are you stopping it? And uh, the doctor came in, Dr. Albert Campana came in and checked him out in the ring. He said, Joe, he's, o- he's okay, you know, and everybody booing the hell out sure. of me for stopping the fight. And I said to myself, man, I just got here two years ago, you know, and I am remember getting booed like this by the fans. You know, what's the commission? everybody got to think, but I, said, I saw something that I didn't like, you know, just the way his eyes rolled Joe, back. Joe, what
1: the fans don't see are, yeah. is the look in the eyes or his response to right. your questions. So,
2: so what happened was... He was okay then, he went to his restroom, he was all pissed off because I stopped the fight. I'm walking out the ring and the fans are booing me and hey, Joe, come on, I can remember, I can't hear back of my mic, This guy yell, Joe, why do you stop it? Why do you stop it? And anyway, I sat there at the a couple of more preliminary fights after mine, people still booing me. That guy walking by, hey Joe, man, what a lousy job tonight. You know, and I was just like, "Wow, damn!" Then all of a sudden, yeah. some guy comes running out of the dressing room. Joe, Joe, where's the doctor? What happened? He said that guy's well, Aquilas having seizures oh, back in the dressing room. Yeah. So they got to, they got back to, to the dressing room. They rushed <clears throat> him to the hospital, and uh, after the show was over, I ran over, to, you know, went to the hospital to check him out, and i waited a couple hours. His family and trainer they were all outside in the emergency area, the operating room, and I was sitting up there waiting. And the doctor came comes out. I can see, like, if I'm looking at him right now, he's walking towards me. I said, how's he doing, Dr. Campana? He said, Joe, doesn't look good. I don't think he's going to make it. And two days later, he died. You see, so the next day, in the papers, you know, they showed, they were talking about the fight, and then uh, people that were well, booing me sure. that day, must have looked at the newspaper, the headlines about this fight yes. with a coma, and I said, oh my God, hey, we were booing Joe Cortez, and he made the right call. Yeah. So, so you said about yes, being close to the action, what, what we look for, yes, you know, signs or when you take it a pounding, you certain things in your body, I read your, read, I read your body language, I can see something is not right, You're not gonna yeah. you know, I'm going to stop it. You know, that's what I'm trained for.
0: How do you feel uh, about because this is another one that's caused controversy this year. When Anthony Joshua got stopped against Andy Ruiz, Yes, he was on his feet. Now, me having fought at an amateur level, Bill at a professional level, Joe at an amateur level as well, and you obviously being a professional on both sides of of the sport, Mm -hmm. he just looked like that final that final moment when he was stood in the corner yeah. and the referee's saying, put his hands up, and he puts his hands up and he says, walk forward. And he doesn't. And he just kind of goes he, like this. He, 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 he
2: put his arms yeah.
0: under rubs. But his eyes his eyes, seemed to say to the referee, and we we all sat and watched it, and we went, he doesn't want any part of this. Yeah. He's, 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 whether it's his heart's gone or he's not fit or he doesn't feel mentally right, whatever it was, he just didn't feel right. And obviously the referee got a little bit of, and then of course, there's a little bit of stick for the referee. And then after the fight, what happens is the Joshua camp come out and say, "Well, it was stopped too early, and it was this and of that, and he wasn't it, ready." And, and you are going, "I think anyone that's ever been in a ring in any set in any in any situation will know that." I thought personally he was he didn't want to go, yeah. and I thought the referee made a great call.
2: Yeah, yeah, Michael, um've got a name from Canada, Canadian? Uh, yeah, he, I
0: thought I, I thought he made an absolutely brilliant call. But so, anyway, going on from that, uh, like I said, I, I I love this sport. I love to research it. I knew a great deal about your career before you even agreed to come here, and then of course with you coming in, you delve really like more into it. So uh, 170 over over 170 world title fights, yeah. um, which is amazing in itself. But um, some of the some of the great ones that kind of came up was obviously the very first De La Hoya, uh, Chavez thing when it uh, had to be stopped on the cut, um, which I think was a right stoppage because his eye was just in a no, terrible no, state. No, Chavez no, very, very bad. But but De La Hoya, like you said, Delahoya was 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 clearly winning that fight anyway. Yes. Um, but like one thing I really wanted to talk to you about: what was it like being in the middle of the ring when George Foreman beat Michael Mora?
1: I was at that, that fight then. That was a Thomas that was L-
0: just like you know. To, that's a, that's another piece of history along with all the other great fights. That's one that will always stand out as. You know, such so iconic. And George you know. just fell
2: to his knees and just thank
1: God. That's Unbelievable. Right. That's
2: right. It was a, it was an amazing night. It was a, it was a an honor and a privilege for me to be the referee for that fight. I referee uh, George Foreman four on four occasions during his career. The second part of his second half of his career, yeah, and it was amazing. And you know, sometimes, I mean, Bob, the big fights, I cannot really enjoy them because I'm working, of course. And then I when I go home and I put on TV. I said, "Oh my God, that was uh, that was an amazing round." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you, ever, <laughs> are you ever critical
0: of yourself watching yourself? Yeah,
2: fight? yeah, 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 yeah. I watch it. I, I said, you know, I, I think I made, a, I could have done a little bit better tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could have done better that particular fight. And there's times where people criticize me, and rightfully so, you know. Of course. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not perfect.
0: Yeah, I, yeah.
2: I, I, I do make mistakes like anybody else I'm human of course and if I of make course. a mistake yeah, yeah. Like maybe I'm on the wrong side I to fight fighter, maybe I don't, I'm the blind side. I got criticized for Ricky Hatton's fight with Mayweather when they said yeah. I kept breaking the fight up too much. I thought it was it was, it was too much clinching, and it yeah. was too much rough tactics inside, and I was trying to put a stop to that. Yeah. I was trying to put a stop to that rough, roughness inside, which we don't allow here. If you start clinching, when I teach referees around the world about excessive holding and rough tactics inside, I said you guys say, it's time, Break! Break it. You know, you got to break him up. Yeah, yeah, sure. You can't let him get into this rough tactic type of a fight. Yeah. And uh, there are certain rules. And in Europe, he got away with that. He's one of the great fighters out of the oh, United sure, Kingdom. Sure. And I respect it. And I love him. I think he did good for boxing. Yeah. You know, especially for the British. Every time we come fight in the United States, Three or four, five thousand fans will follow him. here to Vegas, yeah. and I thought he was a great fighter for what he did accomplish in boxing. But there's certain rules, certain things that I apply that I have to take. Well, it, I mean, I mean when I when I refereed him, I mean he got stopped in that tenth round. Yeah, I believe it was in the tenth round when he got yeah. stopped. But. Uh, uh, I remember refereeing so many great fighters from the United Kingdom. I went there when uh, the referees in the United Kingdom were not qualified to referee the big okay. fights. Yeah. wow. And they would bring us in. Sure. they bring the American referees over there, mm-hmm. and I would give seminars, and I would help them, teach them, uh, <coughs> uh, mechanics, and I would say about excessive holding, low blows, headbutt hitting behind the head, yeah. any rough tactics. I say, well, this we don't do in boxing. But uh, again, you know, I respect the fans. I mean, the fans have every right to, to feel yeah. how they feel about their, their fighter and refereed. Sure. But, uh, you know, half of the fans will love you, half will, will, sure. will, will one, hate you.
0: Yeah, one thing about the Hatton thing is uh, my friend Ben Evans from back home, he messaged me the other day because we ask people if they would like to ask you a question. Yes. And there's a few of them uh, yes. mixed in, in, in here. And he's a big boxing fan. And I come from, I come from the, originally from Scotland, but I was brought up in yeah. the northwest of England. Right. So I was brought up near Manchester. So uh, Ricky Hatton's a hero, I right? Suppose. He yeah. also supports the same soccer team as me. Okay, <laughs> so Ricky Hatton was, as you said, a hero, right? And I remember watching the fight live, and I remember screaming at you. Probably, <laughs> I, are you <laughs> on, the guy, or you that was, that me, was, yeah, it was me? That was him on the television, <laughs> and you're you're there, and you're in the moment because that's the way he fought. He fought right. very on the inside. He that, was he was rough and tumble and yeah. all of that kind of stuff, and it was a very scrappy fight. In yeah. fairness. And then my friend said to me, he said, You've got Joe Cortez, he said, ask him about the Hatton fight. See, yeah. see, you know, would he would he change anything? So because of that, yesterday I spent all day watch I watched the entire fight right. from start to finish. Right. And I hate to say it, but I agree with you. Because what, what happened was whenever, they went, clinch, whenever they went into a clinch, whenever they went into a clinch, he would his elbows were up, Ugh. he would he would pull Floyd's he- head down, and on the on the release, he would there was like a little short uppercut yeah. every single time. And it's things like this and you watch it in hindsight and you're going now, there's something I didn't know and i'm not the I'm not the first person to admit when I'm wrong so um but you watched it and I was like I was kind of fascinated because I really thought I would come in and say well, why wouldn't you let him do what he does but in general a very scrappy fight and to be honest with you and it's not because you're just sitting here the when you look at it yeah. round by round and you slowly watch what he does and his elbows are in sure. Floyd's face I don't remember Floyd was dirty in that fight as well. But the idea that he literally holds his thing, his head down, and as his head comes out of the clinch, there's always like a little cheeky sucker sure. punch, which was very Ricky Hatton. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But um, yeah. Sorry. Go on, Joe.
1: Well, I think that as uh, as ball players or as athletes, and even as sports fans, Joe, whether you, if you're watching a baseball game, for example, yeah. and the umpire calls. Const- can cause uh, a wider strike zone. Yeah. As long as he consistently calls a wider strike zone. If you're watching a football game and the referees are calling, uh, a little, you know, questionable... Uh, uh, pass interference calls. As right. long as they consistently do it. As long as somebody and I, this is what I saw, this is why I always loved you, love Mills, Richard over the years, I'm talking during the era that I grew up and watched fights personally and saw them here in Vegas one on one is you knew what you were getting going into the fight and you were consistent during the fight. It's the surprises to me are the people that, you, that are, are usually lax and they're a little tougher mm. or are tougher and they're a little lax. As long as you're consistent going into the fight, listen Listen, my wife knew what she was getting into when she was marrying me. So so she can't complain. Nineteen years I tell you, you can't complain. But that was always something that I respected and loved about you. I loved about Mills Lane. I like about I loved about Richard Steele.
2: I because was fair but I firm. Fair
1: and firm, and that's why and Jimmy, you know, that's you know, when we see a referee, change what we're so used to seeing. In baseball, in football, Uh, I don't talk about hockey. Uh, No, uh, but what I say, what we say... uh, loves hockey, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I only like men's sports. Anyway, um, no, it's just a little bit of fun. We have everybody here wearing hockey stuff, so I'm just having some fun today, (laughs) listeners. Um, But I think that consistency is as important as the quality of refereeing. Do you agree?
2: I agree with you 100%. I like to... uh, like when I give some advice to referees, I try to say, be consistent with what you do, but also you know, be fair with the fighters, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, you have to, you know, just take control, but watch out for the safety of the fighters. And it, obviously, if you're going to stop a fight, we know some referees are known to uh, to stop fights a little sooner than others. So a commission, as uh, like Bob Bennett, who's the executive director, and I've talked to him on many occasions. I, you know, I helped Bobby Bennett get into boxing when he was an FBI agent. And then uh, when he, he gave me 10 years in the amateurs, then I got him in the pros as a judge, and then he became executive director. And I was told him, Bobby, you know, you as an executive director, you, you're like a coach. You're like a Casey Stegall for the New York Yankees. <laughs> you, got, you got to be like a Joe Torrey, you know, sure. or, uh, Tommy Lasorda for the Dodgers you got to know your players so you, and as a commissioner you got to know your judges sure. how they judge a fight for, 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 for these yeah. particular fighters you got a boxer and a slugger if you got to know your judges if this judge you know judge A he likes to always see c- c- to favor the, the slugger and judge B likes to favor the, the boxer maybe I don't want to have those two That's guys I don't want to have those show. two guys and, and as judging I would try to bring three judges that are going to be neutral to, to both sides not that, so as a coach director, I gotta know my, my players. My players are the judges and the referee. So you gotta know how to assign your judges and referee for particular fights. A so this yeah. is where a good commission comes in and sits down and, and evaluate his judges. I say, okay, I got this fight, I got Kovalev fighting Canelo. I know how Canelo fights, I know how Kovalev fights, that's coming up soon. Well, I gotta know what fighters, what judges are gonna put it for that fight. I don't want a controversial ending. I know this judge, he's always been. Either way, he goes with the box or with the slugger. He's in. Mm-hmm, I have sure. a, a list of 10. The promoters and the, uh, the managers, they give me a, li- a list of 10. Judges and referees, sure, sure. and I say, Okay, this guy is out, that one is out, this guy is in, this one is out. Like you want a partial
1: jury, yeah, yeah, that's right, like it. a jury
2: selection, sure. So, now you know, you got your three fair judges, you said these guys are not gonna play. they're gonna go the right way. This guy was towards the boxer, or the slugger, you're gonna go. But I'm, I'm, I'm not going with you because I know you love the slugger. You all been talking about you love a Rocky Marciano style, you Ugh. like a Ricky Hatton fight style. So I'm mm. not gonna put you in that fight, I'm gonna put you in where I know that. You gonna go uh, Sugar Ray uh, Leonard the type of fighter? You can go with. Uh, uh, I mean, with
1: it's funny that you mentioned Leonard because Leonard knew his judges and he he knew he would change a little bit of his tactics. Well, but, fact, but he also knew the last ten seconds of every exactly. round. He, know,
2: he could he, sway a judge. He know he knew how to steal the rounds. Yes. Oh yeah. You know. So so that's that's something that you also gotta. <coughs> No, that's why I said. when you know you're judging referee, I gotta I gotta get into your head. I gotta figure out you out. I gotta know you're good. I gotta know you good, and I gotta know you good. So this why I know I know just how what you're thinking when you go into a particular. Fight. I'm gonna put you with Sugar Ray Leonard, and I've heard you talk about certain things about Sugar Ray. And i you're scratched sure. off. you've yeah. been you've been talking too much about him. You're favoring him too much. That's why I tell officials you gotta go on television any radio, social media stuff. Be careful what you say. Because referees are under the microscope. Sure. You, sure. Whatever you say today yeah, yeah. can haunt you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So you got to be so careful when you're out there, you know, talking to the media. So like I said, you're under the microscope at yeah. all time. Something you may do today, yeah. or a photo you may take with a fighter that later on they want you to judge him as a, a referee's fight. Yeah. They say, oh, I don't know, you got pictures with him. Uh, together sure. and that happened to me yeah. one time. D- they pulled me out of a fight. They saw me taking a picture with a fighter. Some fighter came up to me, took, <laughs> took a picture with me, and a friend. Can we take a picture? Now gonna, I'm going to officiate this this fighter. Okay. And then somebody said, well, but he got, I got pictures with Joe and that particular fighter." They look at this. They say, "You know, you're right. We got to take." They scratch me. They put another referee in. So you know we're under the microscope. So we got to be careful. So do you
1: think it's even tougher now with the explosion of social media? Yes, and, and that everybody has a camera on their phone and yes. social media. Exactly. And everybody has their now, five hey, hey, to
2: Right now, you can't even you can even say you know one little word because it could have be somebody got it taped or something. Yeah. You know, somebody and they did. don't know the
1: context you were saying it, and exactly. then the next thing you know, you're this or yeah, you're yeah,
2: that. You got you got to always be focused think, and be careful what you're saying. Okay. You got to be and when
3: you when you're in when you're in the ring. Are you? Are you judging the
2: fight? I, I try. You know, my first ten years as a referee, when I started in nineteen seventy-seven, I was uh, I was a scoring official. They, they, no, they, but I they,
3: mean, like, just as you're going. Yeah, long,
2: I, I'm like getting to that. Track. I used to referee and score fights yeah. at the same time. They had two judges, and the referee was the third judge. Right. So, my first ten years, yes, I was scoring. And referee, they are doing a dual job. You know, you, you got paid was was one one <laughs> check. So, so the promoters were able to keep just paying two judges and a referee. Now they had to bring in a third, third. judge. They yeah. got to fly him in. They got to put him up in a hotel, yeah. and they got to pay him a salary. There's a lot more cost here for the for the for the uh, promoters. But yeah, uh, you know, we get to that point where you are uh, you, you're scoring these fights, and uh, uh, you get a habit maybe of just automatically, it's easy for me. Head. I'm refereeing, but at the end of the round or towards the middle of the round, I know this guy is taking a little pounding here. And I don't. That, uh, that I know that he's losing. That with the bell rings, he got dropped maybe once or twice in that round. I go to his corner. I look at him Am already in my mind. I'm already keeping track. I say, if he gets dropped again in the sure. later round, gets dropped again another time, fourth time, I'm saying to myself, I know he's losing. And it, they, there's no the way the world the judges have in my head.
3: At the end of a fight... Uh, and I'm sure it's happened, but have you been just shocked that, yes. that, that with the decision? Yes, I, fight, yeah, you know yeah, just yeah. And
2: I played dumb like, oh my God. <laughs> so <laughs> so, no, so you're, not, the count that you've got in your head uh, is way yeah. different than so what I, I the said, judges I, I, yeah, But sometimes I say maybe maybe I was wrong because I was so busy controlling the fight, matter, you know, I can't enforcing the rules. Okay, no. Then I go home and I sit down and watch that TV. Oh yeah, no, the judges were right. You know, I was too mixed up, just focusing. It was a rough fight, constantly breaking him up like Ricky had. or I keep breaking sure. him up yeah, all yeah, the yeah. time. And then at the end, you say, I really don't know who was, who was winning because I was so mm-hmm. busy working. Then you cannot really appreciate everything yeah. until I watch the replay, you know, of the of the fight. But it's not easy. But uh, I had a, I had a lot of fun scoring That That's one of the reasons I got brought into Nevada the first time to judge uh, the uh, Larry Holmes and uh, Michael Spinks fight. Okay. It, was a, it was a rematch. The first one was controversial. Everybody thought Holmes won, Morning. and they gave it to Spinks. And at the rematch, uh, the two judges gave it to Spinks, and one judge gave it to Holmes. And so I booed their decision, and I found out that it was me. <coughs> that the, I thought they were booing me because I was the only really one who gave it to Holmes that <laughs> night. And the commission, everybody said, Joe, you don't feel bad. You know, no, no. It, they're not booing you, Joe. They bought the other two judges. They're sure. the ones that had it sure. wrong. You had it right. right. But so then I say I thought they accepted me in Nevada. They said, you know, Joe, you 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 you're good under pressure, and I, I was a judge, that was a referee, because I was already accustomed to ten years judging fights, mm-hmm. and Chuck Minka, who was executive director yeah, yeah. at the time, before uh, Mark Ratner, Chuck Minka was said, Joe, I bring you to Nevada because I saw you. In New York, first of all, I saw what you didn't want to get a free ticket to go into a fight that could tell you, you know, you're, you're a guest, and you kept refusing, and you took $20, out. you put it on the table, on the counter, it's a $20, the general mission, a small mm-hmm. show. He said, I like what you did there. He said, you show your professionalism. You don't want to get any favors from any promoters, so you pay your ticket. And He said, I'm just going to pull you over. I said, I like what you just did as an official. He said, I was the executive director. I said, yeah, I remember that. He said, well, that's one of the reasons why I brought you into Nevada your honesty, and I thought you was, you're, you're doing a good score with as a, as a judge. So I brought you in to do the, the Holmes and, and Springs fight. Then they called me in to, to judge. the. Uh, they wanted me to move out here. I was, I, was, I was afraid to make a move. It's a big move to just sure. pack up and leave uh, bring your family, leave, leave all my business mm-hmm. in New York to move out here you know, for boxing. But then they brought mm-hmm. me out a second time to judge uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran, the third fight, fight at the Barrage. Yes. And that was around 1991. In 1992, I made a move out to Nevada. They convinced me to move out yeah. after I, I did two fights for them uh, Jeff Fennec and Asuma Nelson. Sure, sure. And Gray Page and someone else. They said, Joe, these are the kind of fights you're going to get if you move out to Vegas. We're not supposed to be putting you on the show because you're not a resident, but we gave you an opportunity to so you got a feel for it. Mm-hmm. And they kind of convinced me that I made about bouffier ninety two.
1: Well, as a Las Vegas, and I love this. And I'm a New Yorker too, born uh, and bred in the Lower Side of Manhattan. I know wh- wh-
2: you're. Wh- where about Little Italy, Little Italy, okay. Little Italy area. Yeah, you had a boys club there on Eleventh Street, Pitt <laughs> Street, right? Yes, yes, we
1: did. You know, you know the area well. Yes. Sir. Uh, we were, we're well. See, when you get two New Yorkers out of New York, we're, we're still we're, we're together. Doesn't <laughs> matter what neighbor we're from. We're, we're New Yorkers. <laughs> yes, um, you know, when you when you made. The move here, and you were in, in, in Vegas. You know, I love this city. I'm, I came here on vacation when I was twenty years old. I had a five room suite at the old Aladdin. so why you, 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 you've been here ten years, now. I mean, I love him already. See, I love him. <laughs> see, 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 those handsome guys together. <laughs> uh John, I want to ask you, but. It, you know, when I moved here in '90, I mean, the '80s were a great era for boxing, yeah, right? Especially in Vegas, Caesar's had all those fights, right? But the '90s, the Mirage started getting fights, Caesar's, and MGM started getting, a lot of different places started getting fights. Thomas and Maxwell, you, you talked about the more uh, the reformer, you know. Yeah. A lot of time we had, I mean, if there was a major fight, it was here. Is there anything else in the world like like refereeing a a a, a fight? in Vegas, really,
2: the excitement. Yeah, yeah, the only other place in the world that people love, and and I fought out many times as a fighter, pros and amateurs, was at the Mecca, the Madison Square Garden, the Mecca of Boxing in New York City, which I uh, had the honor of, uh, I don't know if you looked at it, I had it online yesterday. I I went through my scrapbook and I found a a photo of of me and my brother Mike, the Cortez brothers back in the 60s where we won the Golden Gloves, and in Madison Square Garden, I knocked out two guys the same night in Madison Square Garden, I said, "Wow!" I know when I got inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in Canastota, New York, two thousand eleven, Ed Brophy, the executive director of the Hall of Fame, said, "Joe, we got this room here, we got this boxing room that was donated to us from Madison Square Garden. We got it here now." He said, "Look, all the great fighters that fought in this ring." He says, "Joe Louis, Marciano, Muhammad Ali, James, uh, uh so many uh, Jack Dempsey, all the great ones. Joe Lewis, they all fought in that ring." I said yeah you know one night there was a fighter knocked out two guys the same night he said who the hell was that I said well, you're talking to him <laughs> you're talking to him and that, that happened during the Eastern Golden Glove Championships sure, yeah, that's awesome. you know in New York Open first you win the Opens and then you guys fight for the Eastern then we went to Chicago to fight for the Nationals it's amazing and I know all that happened in 1961 and I put up that that picture up there that there were 16,000 some of our fans amazing. watching my brother and I win the, wow. the, uh, the Eastern Championships even during
1: that era Joe I remember like you know going because I fought Gloves and I remember other kids. There was there was a lot of people at these golden glove events. Oh, back, back I mean yes. Long Island University, CW Pulse. Yeah, and they were all over the city, Jim Jimmy yeah. Billy. They were all over the city. Yeah. Going off simultaneously. And there was and every place was packed. And people even used to, and you know it's funny if somebody knew you were fighters. They would go, Where do you box out of? Because, yeah. you know, if you bought a... Yeah, yeah. I lived in that, you bought out of Times Square Boxing. at. Well, No,
2: no, I bought out of another Italian neighborhood up uh, up on 11th Street. I know it.
1: That's our so lady of Mount St. Carmel. I yeah, know that
2: area. Okay, so, well, Mount St. Carmel was up in the Bronx. Oh. That was the CYO... Uh, boxing club, uh,
1: and you were on the other side of, of the.
2: Well, I, I was. I was. A, I'm a product of the Boys Clubs of New York. Beautiful. So that was. A, the, they had the the, the Red Wings it was a mm-hmm. gang, the Italian gang, 111th Street, and I was. I was a Puerto Rican from the other side. I had to go through. They had the Dragons, and they had the Viceroy's gang, <laughs> gangs, and then they did Then the, the Afro American they had the Enchanters. So I had to walk through all those neighborhoods <laughs> to get to the Boys Clubs every day. So I said, "Shit, you know, these guys would see me out there, and I would bring my boxing gloves hanging outside of my just so they knew." (laughs) Yes, I'd be walking. My brother and I would be walking down the street with our boxing gloves hanging, not in the bag, but outside the bag, so they knew we were fighters. Nobody messed with us for four years that I walked. Through the enchanters, the Viceroy, the dragons, and the red wings, nice. and the red wings, the Italians—you know, the Puerto Ricans—they're uh, sort of beautiful Italian girls, or vice versa. <laughs> you know, they were they were fighting with each other. You can't take our girls, you know. Before you know it, yeah, yeah. the Italians were marrying the Puerto Rican, the Puerto Rican about the Italian. You know, it was it was a chaos, but it was fun. I had so much fun representing the boys' so, club in that area. Those Italian.
1: boys and girls clubs really saved a lot of our it, youth. They really it, it
2: kept me on the right track, that's for sure. You know, and you know, we had
1: Fernando Vargas on a few weeks ago, and he yeah. was talking about he went through some issues as a kid. Yeah. And it was just one decent person who saw something in him. Right. And he could, instead of going right, he went left, and and his v- life was a very, very different. Yeah. And those Boys and Girls Clubs, you know, when you get those children involved at a young age, and all it all takes is one decent person to to inspire you or right. to take notice to you. A lot of people don't get that at home. A lot of people don't get that on the streets. And that, that really is. I'm glad you talked about the Boys and Girls Clubs.
2: Yeah, no? yeah. No, it was, it was amazing. I just saw... Uh, you know the boys, the boys' club really helped me a lot. Came me on the right track. Then I had the honor with it when I decided to retire from bike went to Puerto Rico. We started talking earlier in the show about that. And uh, here's a photo of me and Joe DiMaggio when, oh uh, my goodness, but he's come down to the hotel where I was managing at in Puerto Rico to the American Airlines <laughs> Golf Classics. and you know it was amazing days uh, <laughs> to be there. And there's uh, Roberto Clemente. That's, that's a beautiful with, photo by with there. That was three months before he passed away. Then here we have Thurman Munson. Oh my goodness! Dave Bagdelli, Jim Palmer, and all these guys I used to hang around with, with yeah. when I was managing the hotels in Puerto Rico. But all I would say, it all comes back for the days when I was, uh, uh, you know, his, his goal When I when I was a product of the Boys Club, you know, and that's me with my first. Oh that's my first golden glove fight as a novice. Uh, back as 112 pounds. My, wow. And that's uh, Victor Valle, who's a trained yeah, Jerry Cudi. I want you to
1: know, Jimmy and Billy weighed 112 pounds at first when they, were, when, they, <laughs> when they were in first when they were,
2: when they were born.
1: It's <laughs> a beautiful photo. I wish I could see the I 100. love
2: it. Yeah, but I mean, it was been always a nice, uh, a nice, uh, you know, nice memories when I go through these uh, yeah. scrapbooks and I see when I won the uh, Open Championships in Madison Square Garden there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a lot of fun, and I and I thank God that I got involved with the Boys Club. Sure. And I tell other youngsters out there and parents out there, get your kids involved with other sports. I have a grandson now who goes to uh, Snow College in Utah. He plays football. He got a scholarship, and I have two granddaughters who are gymnastics. They so my my daughters keep their, my grandchildren active in sports. It yeah. Keep keep them out of trouble, just like I did when I joined the the, uh, the Boys Club. Mm-hmm. I got involved with boxing. It wasn't for Gal Ortega, was my, my mentor, Yeah, he got me on the right track in life when I was 12 years old. I come from a single parent home, so it's not easy being born and raised in Spanish Harlem in New York and, and try to get out of there, come out clean and thank God. Yeah, I never got myself in any trouble. I joined the Army when I was 18. I came out and continued my boxing career. I, even when I was in the Army, I had a couple of uh, pro fights there when I got some time off, I believe. I got to go fight in Hawaii, I got to fight in Mexico, even when I was in the army. But uh, it was a, a lot of fun and I kept myself on the right track. I told parents, keep your kids active. In sports, any kind of sport, it doesn't have to be boxing, as long as you keep it back. Today, you know, these kids that don't exercise enough, yep. they, all they do, they do exercise with their thumbs, they're not yes. going to do it. Yeah, sure. You know, being you out of the house,
1: like being around other kids. Also, yeah, you know, yeah, you, you never yeah. know if it's if it's a ticket to a, a college or a career. Yeah, yeah
2: you know, when, you, when you're more active out there with, with other sports, you're able to, to – uh, Get uh, confidence in yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know your self esteem, your discipline level. Because yeah. you have coaches and trainers, you know, working with you. But if you're home to adult it, not, just play that, 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 that yeah. on your iPhone or on your tablet games. You're not, you're not, you're not going to expose yourself to you get to the level where you, you can speak. Well, to you a, also learn a lot about a winning
1: and losing. You know, you got to yeah. overcome, yeah. Contra- yeah. Uh, overcome adver- yeah. aversion. It teaches
0: you all those things that you know. Yeah, exactly. we, we spoke about it, like with Fernando Vargas, and he said he was a bad kid. And he said, someone took a chance on me. I came from a bad background in a rough neighborhood. Right. Someone gave something to me and then he he hooked up with uh, Robert Garcia right. who kind of mentored him through his thing. And now he has his his foundation here in, in yeah, Vegas yeah, yeah. where he's just taking kids that don't have parents and right. don't have focus and right. give them exactly what you're just saying, yeah. going through that system, getting some discipline in their life, getting some direction.
2: Yeah, I, I helped him out with that program. Yeah, yeah, i I've I, I, I don't do yeah. do a lot of equipment there to the gym. He yeah. mentioned that to us. Yeah, 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 yeah and, yeah, and, yeah, and that's... Them.
0: You know, and that's the great thing—the community of um, of boxing and the people that were there that have made it, giving back. To giving, the, back. giving back, to the community. Yeah, is, um, I pay
2: forward. I tell all the other yeah. celebrities out there, pay forward. Yeah, uh, that's what I love doing. Uh, I just love helping out wherever I can, and not just only in boxing, but uh, I, I do so much. I do about on the Joe Cortez show on Facebook. I do every Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, this past Tuesday, I had a a, a gentleman who was a uh, uh there was one that was a, he was an ex fighter. As a matter of fact he was a uh, Frankie Avalar who was a fighter huh? who fought Chavez. I had him on the show. Yeah. And uh I like to put people I had a laid two ladies the other day on, Rose and Linda who were involved with the Poppy Foundation. Mm-hmm. They have with with cats. And sure. just so people love animals. I like to put people on my show to talk about different Listen, topics. Yeah. It's not just boxing, yeah. but different, different topics. I bring doctors on my show. I bring, out, you know, yes, uh, Bob Bender, executive director. I bring doctors on the show to talk about the, the healthcare business sure. and talk about boxing as well.
0: And people yeah. can people can get that's just on your Facebook. Right. It'll be able to be a Facebook. Just go to Joe Cortez Facebook, right? And then the shows will be up there every week. Is that yeah, how yeah, people get a hold fi- of
2: them? That, that's on Tuesday. On Monday, you can see the, uh, you can listen to or watch actually uh, the favorite friend show. And that's on Monday. And where can they where can they find that? And, and that that's on, on the Facebook. On so Facebook as well. Yeah. Okay. And, so and yeah, then I also do Sundays. I do the uh, Las Vegas Sports Talk Show. Yeah. That's on Sundays at one o'clock, and that's also on Facebook.
0: Great. Well, listen. Like I said, go onto Joe's uh, Facebook and uh, and get involved because this is all, this is all good stuff. Uh, now, I wanted to. There's a, there's a couple of things before we we wrap up. There's a couple of things that I thought I, I can't have the great man here and not ask him a few things. But the first one, and the, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the most ridiculous. Okay, Conor McGregor. You were asked to come oh. in, and oh. now. So I thought. I wish our listeners so the, out the, the there could see Joe's face The reason I say right this is, as I, I love MMA, by the way, and I think Conor McGregor is great for the sport as far as a personality. Maybe some dubious moments outside of the ring, but in a ring, and what he brings, he brings mm. that kind of Ricky Hatton fandom to Vegas. Yes. He creates the thing, and he's very, very good at it. Now, when the whole thing came up with Floyd, I thought it was a master stroke from both of them getting the whole production together. But when you were brought in, with like. When you were brought in to the camp to, to take him through some of the rules and stuff like that, what was that experience like?
2: Well, I, I remember walking in and I got a call from uh, one of McGregor's uh, agents. They called me and said, Joe, you were chosen to to to, uh, to train McGregor as uh, the rules of boxing, and he wanted you because he wanted a, a Hall of Fame referee, somebody who had name recognition around the world. So you were chosen, will you accept the position? I said, wow, I'm kind of surprised, you know, I wasn't expecting, was expecting that coming. He said, yeah, but, you know, I said, yeah, sure, I'd like to do that. What, what, what period of time, what, what are you talking about me doing this? And the next couple of months or what? He said, no, like today, 3 o'clock.
3: <laughs> I, I said, yeah, today, you call That's me, Irish huh? time for you. you you, 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 you <laughs>
2: calling me now at uh, 11 o'clock, you want me there at 3 o'clock? I said, I don't know if I can make three o'clock, but I can, I can make four thirty. But not three. I got other appointments. So okay, we'll wait for you. So I got to the UFC uh, headquarters, and when I got there, uh, Conor McGregor was was waiting. There was a whole bunch of them with the camera crew. They were all waiting. Yeah. And when I started walking up the stairs up to the training level where they're at in the uh, at the UFC. Uh, I walk in Carter McGregor come walking me you know, with his chest, sticking out, yeah. give me that walk, that strut that he has.
3: Yeah. And when he came
2: up to me, I said, Chill, buddy, get relax, relax. He come out with his chest, sticking out, I said, Relax, buddy, relax. Then he calmed down, I said, Okay, go ahead. Now, hey, how you doing, buddy? Yeah. You know, he said, hey, Mr. Cortez, Mr. am so glad you're here. I said, Good, good, I'm glad I'm here with you too. So we we met, to introduced me to everybody. I said, Good, good. We want you to to, to train our McGregor at, at the rules of boxing and And I said, okay, we could do that. uh, What period of time? We want you to do this for five weeks while we get ready. I said, okay. And I said, good. So we kind of laid out the rules a little bit. But I said, "Uh, Connor, you got a minute you and I can talk privately. And we took him to a separate room on the side. I said, Connor, you know, I just want to know that. That, well, you know, I want you to know that me as a referee, I do my job. One thing I do is, I know how you carry yourself and everything, but remember one thing I'm here for one reason, and that is to teach you the discipline that you gotta have in the ring as a a referee or whatever referee is who's Mm -hmm. ever gonna be. The discipline you gotta show us as referees. But we're gonna start right now. I'm gonna tell you right now, you have to follow my rules. And what I say, you know, the rules have to be applied. And I don't care what you do. If you get a little out of control or something things go wrong, I'm going to take some points for you during this training uh-huh. session, and yeah. I, believe me, I will do it. But I want you to know I'm going to do my job, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep yourself, I'm going to keep a distance from you. <laughs> I, I'm not a friend right now. I'm, a, I'm an official. Yeah. I'm going to do my job. Well, as long as you understand that, we're going to be okay, you know, because you want somebody to teach you the right way, I'm going to teach you the way I do it in real life. Yeah. He said, I, I appreciate you. That's why we got you here. I shook hands with them, and then... Uh, you know, we went it got started with the program, and doing those sessions that we were having with Paulie Malignaggi, who they, who they brought in to spar with him. Did he? Did he? And did people he, asking, me, "I don't know what he, you are going to ask me. Did, did he, he hit him? him? He hit him and pushed him, at the same time, was, I'm not going to call oh. it. I'm not going to call it. I'm not, you I'm be not gonna, a politician Joe. I, I cannot, I cannot call it a knockdown because he hit him, but he kind of pushed him. He kind of a push. Okay. And hit So, I was, I was, I was, <laughs> but I did take a point from McGregor. For the, the the hitting behind the head. Yeah. I kept warning him, I said, This is training. And I go to his corner during the training session, and I would tell the corner, You got to stop the hitting behind the head. Or when I say break, you're still hitting out the break. You keep doing this. I'm going to start taking some point. I'm going to tell you right now, yeah. This is what I'm bought here for, and I'm going to do it. He went out there again. We kept on. I said, Break, break. They kept punching. He hit it behind the head. I said, Time. I grabbed him by the wrist. Point. one point deduction one point okay. deduction I may believe I've taken a point like for the judges yeah. this is a real thing and I told them, this was going to happen in the real fight yeah. and you may be disqualified we don't want that so we went into the corner the bell rang went to the corner I said you see what I was telling you I don't want to take any more points you'll be yeah. disqualified I'm going to tell you right now you got to stop it and that went on for five weeks but everything was on the positive side for five weeks People was, I was doing some work with ESPN at Deportes out in, in L.A. And says Cesar Chavez was always saying, come on, Joe, what are do you doing working with that guy? I said, <laughs> working with that guy? That guy can surprise me. Well, I'll tell you right now, yeah. I've been in the ring with him. He can surprise him. I am not saying going to beat him, but I can tell you, yeah. he can surprise him. He has to knock out power. And something can, he can surprise the whole world at night. And Chavez kept laughing at me, laughing at me. And when the fight was over, that he lasted those 10 rounds, you know, I went back to the ESPN in the following week uh, at the LA. And Chavez, who Chavez was there. And he looked at me, I looked at him, he said, Joe, man, I must say, I take my hat off to you, man, you were right. He surprised all of us with his performance. You know, he did pretty good the first uh, four, yeah, sure. three, four rounds. Yeah, first, I mean, he, he did yeah. great. You I know?
0: Mean, I, I mean, I was just, I was going to ask you that, whether you thought... We're...
2: McGregor was figuring him out.
0: Yeah, whether you thought he would... From a former fighter's point of view, and obviously an experienced referee's point of view, whether during that training you actually thought he has got a chance, he had a chance, a conscious chance maybe. Yeah, yes, exactly, know.
2: because he can punch.
0: Because I think most people would agree that Mayweather. I mean, to my knowledge, Mayweather didn't train a great deal for that fight. I,
2: I don't think he. T- I think he could took him a little bit for granted. Yeah, I don't think he, he, would, he was training him like with him like he did for he would for Canelo. Sure, sure, sure. Or when he fought, you know, Miguel yeah, yeah. Cotto. But um,
3: I bet on McGregor. So did you (laughs) that's where the money was but i did think two things well the money wasn't one he could yeah Yeah. it could have been yeah what could have been i I thought he could punch and i didn't think i thought mentally he could handle it because he is so outgoing so he he does get the people i didn't think he would get you know the deer in the headlights scared of the big event with mayweather and i i don't think he did i think he just couldn't
1: handle the boxing skills.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, i tell you, he did okay for his first pro fight. He mm-hmm. did, yeah.
1: for sure. Yeah. And he wasn't there against the guy to go fight. So yeah, I got to ask he, you, he I know Jimmy's best. got some more questions, but I have to ask you, I ask everybody yeah. in the show because you brought up Floyd, we brought up Floyd, and the a great athlete. Right. All right. Something bothers me in the sport of boxing. Uh, a lot of things bother me even before breakfast, but something in the sport of boxing, <laughs> how everybody is so quick to say the term pound for pound greatest. <clears throat> to me, when you say pound for pound greatest, there's only one greatest ever in the history of pugilism, in the history of boxing, it's Sugar Ray Robinson. and even to be considered, listen, I, I would, listen, even Joe DiMaggio used to say, the greatest living ball player, because he knew, and I'm Italian, he knew Babe Ruth was the greatest. When people say the greatest pound for pound, even Floyd's father and uncle agree with me, I agree. nobody's in the same level. There was Robinson and everybody else.
2: That's it. it I agree. Me. I agree with you 100%. Sugar Ray Robinson was the greatest of all times. You know, and all these guys, Sugar Ray Leonard and uh, Muhammad Ali, all, talented. all those guys copy try to copy Sugar Ray Robinson's style. He had to movement, he had to feint. He can he can put, knock you out. Going back, I got his back foot going six inches you, from your face. You know, going he good short punches. He'll knock you out with short left foot, short right hands. And, uh, yeah, he was a greatest. He, he had it all. But Joe,
1: Joe <clears throat> I want to tell you, Joe, Joe Frazier used to train his son and his nephews the way he fought. They didn't have his jaws left hand. Right. Nobody has what, what what Ray Robinson has. He was flawless in every way. He,
2: he had everything going. He had the right But company. when
1: people say, for, like, I'm the powerful pound pounder, it bothers me. It disturbs. No, no, no. I understand that he needs to promote they, the sport, they, but they, there's they, enough.
2: They, they can say powerful pound of this era, but not of, of all times. If you took at who's a powerful pound. The greatest in the history of boxing, Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray Land is up there at the top. He's definitely on the top. Fight number one.
0: Who, who do you think right now? Who's who would be your pound for pound current right now? Because obviously Canelo gets thrown around. Lomachenko, uh, Crawford, Errol Spence. Who, who who would who would be your um, sort of best pound for pound fighter well, the, of the those day? Those four
2: you mentioned right there, right there at the, the mix of the top mm-hmm. five. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, uh, Terence Crawford. Uh, Earl Spence but Earl Spence is you know, fighting Sean Porter this weekend yeah. and uh, and I think that Sean Porter is going to take uh, Earl Spence we have to we have, he, if, if people yeah. say if Spence comes out a lot he's a favorite yeah. and his name is mentioned a lot but what's it, that Sean Porter nobody really mentioned Sean Porter as much as they do Earl Spence yeah. but if he uh, Earl, uh, Sean Porter beats Earl Spence then what happened? I always thought it was another guy in the top five. Yeah. Well,
3: there you go with the styles again, though. Too. Right. Spence is your boxer, and right. Porter's the guy that just non-stop punching yeah, and yeah. ducking down and coming at you. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, uh, and we have to say, I uh, have to say good luck to Sean because I spoke to him last night, and I uh, <laughs> I, I wish him well because uh, we want him on the show. So he's only going to come on the show if he wins. He said so uh, yeah good luck Sean (laughs) but listen just going back to Mayweather so obviously and I apologise because this is probably something that gets brought up a lot with you but it's kind of fascinating the situation that Mayweather had with Ortiz which was probably one of the most uh, famous um, single moments of your career having to having to find a way through that kind of mess I believe you
2: brought it up I I would explain that
0: yeah and and, you know uh, like I said I've since watched it three or four times Back and uh, I think you spoke quite quite well after the whole fight, saying that this was the rules. But what was I mean? Did, did that really surprise you that that even happened?
2: I'm surprised that Victor Ortiz would, would fight. He tried to use a headbutt towards Floyd Mayweather. That's yeah. not his style. But he confessed to me after that fight that his trainers told him to headbutt Mayweather intentionally. And I kind of like what he said. Yeah, they told me to do it. He said, you know, that's not my style. That's why I kept apologizing to Floyd Mayweather. Mm-hmm. And he said, "I kissed him once. I kissed him twice. I don't know why I had to try to hug him again the third time. Yeah, when well, you already called time in. Yeah, and uh, you know when you called time in, Larry Merchant said it best. It was a legal sucker punch. Yeah, you know, yeah. I looked at the timekeeper to space sure he saw me because either Mayweather or people blocking my view. So I looked over to make sure they saw me. But that's what, and they said yes. And the timekeeper yeah, acknowledged. Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that he already saw my signal. And they said, "I know. I see a punch coming here." I said, "Whoa." Mayweather clocked with him. Ortiz went to Huggerman yeah. the third time, touched gloves with him. And sure. Mayweather said, time was in. We told fighters, keep your guards up at all yeah, times, protect yourself us yeah. at all times. But man, but Ortiz confessed. And he, every time I see him, he always said, Oh, Joe, man, I feel so bad about that night. I said, don't worry about it, man. You made a how mistake. How do you feel, as a boxing guy,
0: how do you feel now looking back at that? And obviously it was called absolutely correctly. It was... It was, you know, it's called. calling it called time. by the rules. Legally, the, 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 the rules are the rules, you yeah, know, remember, and, you're, and you're there to you're there to facilitate those yeah. rules. How do you feel about it now? Do you think Ortiz was wrong for not lifting his hands up and defending himself, or do you think Mayweather was wrong for not taking a step back and being a gentleman? How do you feel? You about know,
2: it was it was it was like we said, not a gentleman. Uh, Larry Merchant said it best that night. He oh, said yeah. it was a legal sucker punch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Mayweather used kind of unsportsmanlike conduct you can say like you believe know, you give it you know like if I tell you look your shoes on tie you look down and I yeah. clock and I clock you. Sure. It's on you, you know. <coughs> it's not good sportsman like yeah. but it was legal because time was in. Yeah uh you know But people, most most fighters wouldn't
3: do that really No, no.
2: Most fighters would have not clocked most fighters would have touched him again the third time or hugged him and but Mayweather took an opportunity to said, you know, this sort of a Good mother, he'd yeah. be with head butted me, yeah, cut, yeah. cut me, and now you're gonna hug me the third time. The hell with that! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so few being inside, and probably sure, maybe sure. Would have, after they all happy, I say, You know, I should have not done that. <laughs> I should have just stopped him without doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I have, um, we have a question from someone that, that sent in, it's a friend of mine, uh, Tommy Sherlock sent me a message, and he said, Uh, he said, What was the origins of the, of the Fairbuck firm? Where 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 was the where was where, where was the point because I and I just remember seeing my first heavyweight my first title fight ever in Vegas when I visited I, I had the uh, the fortune of seeing uh, Mills Lane and there was just I mean for a boxing fan to sit in and hear let's get ready to rumble from Michael Buffer and then to hear let's get it on or something like that and the show business side of Vegas you kind of won and it's so great because you, you're now very much part of that where does where does that come from was it was it something that was fortuitous or did you think about it it
2: was something like today we're here talking and i want to listen to the, the show later on i was here you know how the conversation sounded i am mean, not, not on the air i'm at home watch listening to it on radio and i was talking about was a tv show and i was talking and i said they said joe what does it take to be a, a, a decent referee at the level where you're at now i said well I said, one of the things, two things that's very important, and that is that you have to be fair with the fighters, but by the same token, in order to take control, you got to be firm. Yeah. So when I watched it, I said, you know, being fair with the fighter, be fair. I said, man, fair, but firm. I said, man, Mills Lane's got, let's get it on. <laughs> I said, well, I, I, was, I was saying, you know, I'm fair, but I'm firm. Yeah, said, that's it. And then Much I said, like I, being a parent, but yeah. You know. I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, I'm fair, but I'm firm. I'm fair, you know. Yeah, I think i use that. And I started using that. And next thing you know, it just Sy- Sylvester Stallone told me, Joe, when I put me in a Rocky movie, he said, Joe, you have to say I'm fair, but I'm firm yeah. when you give me the instruction to do it at the beginning of the fight. I said, you got it. And I did. That's amazing. You know, so that, that's something that really caught on. Everybody said, Joe, those words, the way you put them together, fair, but firm, Nobody all all these years of, of the history. Nobody ever put those, those words together. Yeah. I'm fair, but I'm firm. You know, so I thought that I got myself an attorney and I got it registered. You know, because Brilliant. yeah, because that, that, that's my fair but firm LLC. You know, the LLC that I have is fair but firm. But that, and now anything I do with business, I, any checks or yeah. anything my name is fair but firm LLC. According to my accountants that's what that's the way they want it fabulous well fabulous i mean film. there's a
0: little segue into the films do you want
1: to yeah. go for that you know one, you Joe? mentioned you always- mentioned the rocky whether you were yeah
2: you've done quite a quite a bit
1: you know you're you're always featured and even in the ones where you're not acting we see clips of you in a lot of different places yeah. you know over the years we've seen a lot of people from boxing go into acting uh you know i've seen uh i've seen in the i've seen some of marvin Hagler's attempts in italy we just had Fernando Vargas on the air, who was in Alpha Dog. Uh, he was he was actually pretty good. Yes. Who's a better actor? You or Fernando Vargas? <laughs> well, you know... Eddie, just on the lighter side. Well, Eddie, Eddie
2: Murphy put me on his show. <laughs> I, I did a movie called uh, uh, I Spy with Eddie uh-huh. Murphy. That's right. I did another movie with Antonio Banderas, Woody Harrelson, played to the bone. I did one Wesley Snipes, Undisputed. So, I don't know. Maybe Fernando Vargas is better. I don't know. but I no, think no,
1: no, I th- I no. <laughs> I think where Joe's going with this was... He's been along and asked by bigger names than Fernando, so <laughs> he'll just let his reputation speak for itself. <laughs> Joe, yeah,
2: you're, I, I, a,
0: you're a class act. Undisputed. That was the film in the prison right? yeah. with yes. Bing Ramis and, yeah. uh, and Wes. That's yeah. a great film. I yeah, yeah. But
2: I, I'm at the end where Bill Raimis comes out of, out of prison. Yeah. He fought for the heavyweight mm-hmm. champion, becomes heavyweight champion. That's, and then with yeah. his life he's still in prison. Well, I'm the referee for the heavyweight championship. He did four boxing
1: movies. He did play to the bonnie. Oh, no, yeah. He did. Me, he did that one. High he, spy. Did, he also did the uh, did the other one. He did with Streets of Gold. People don't know what's name. No, Streets no of Gold, where know. he was a, a, a good club fighter and no, uh, Yeah, and he fought for, for for the Olympics. Yeah. But but Joe, I'm going to tell you right now. I'll put it out there because you're too much of a gentleman. I thought Fernando was great in Alpha Dog. You did. You're my favorite boxing actor <laughs> of all time. <laughs> there you go. And, and that goes for Stallone too. We'll, no. We're, we're, so that's so like <laughs> you know
0: what's it? It's a badge of honor. um but Al, well, Al Bernstein said to us, and I think Al was in uh, Rocky Five, and he said he said off the air, he said it's just one of those things that you never assume that's ever going to happen to you. <laughs> Working in the sport of boxing, commentating, refereeing, being a fighter, and he says you get to a point where the phone call comes from Sylvester Stallone saying, "Al, will you come and be one of the commentators on this new Rocky movie with Tommy Morrison and blah 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 blah,", blah. and he said, "Yeah," and of course, if you look back on it now, twenty five, thirty years later, nearly. And he said, "It's like, it's almost like getting into the Hall of Fame again <laughs> if you're in a if you're in a Rocky film." So that was, I mean, was that a, that was quite an experience because it was um, Rocky Balboa you were in, is that right? Yes, yes. So uh, am I right in assuming that they well, didn't they um, actually have a fight that was going on at the MGM Grand Arena and they had to start the filming early because you didn't have the budget okay. to close the arena down? Exactly.
2: What we did was we had a real live fight the night before. And then uh, what we did, I was uh, I was working that night as a referee, but I'm also doing the. We start the next morning to film it, the Rocky Balboa movie. Yeah. So what we did, we had a live audience, and they announced over the over the PA system to the fans to start yelling Rocky, Rocky, mm-hmm. Rocky. Then Rocky Balboa was gonna come out of the to, to from the dressing room, kind of the walk that they do coming out yeah. between the fans. So Rocky was coming out, and they said. And he came all the way he was touching gloves with the fans in front of the bleachers yeah. as he's walking through. Yeah, hey, Rocky, Rocky. he's rocking, he's rocking, are filming all of that live. And so he, he walks into the ring, you see all that crowd in the, in the actual movie. Then when he sets up into the ring, when he's going to climb into the ropes, I'm, I'm inside the ring, I'm just standing looking at him as he's walking in. And he's going to walk in, they stop right there. Then the next day we start with him. Getting walking in the, in the, in the ring. I'm, I'm in there. Now we got all the commissioners and into all the dignitaries uh, yeah. in the ring with the belts and all that. That's where we start. Now, Sylvester told me, he said, Joe, I would like for you to... Uh, to help me out the best you can with this movie. I want this movie to really look authentic. I said, okay, I can help you with that. And he said, said, what level do you you want me to bring in to help you with? Well, he said, Joe, whatever you can do. I said, okay, you want me to bring you real boxing people? I can do that. He said, okay. I got him 23 individuals wow. on my own into the movie. Yeah. I cut men, trainers, uh, inspectors, yeah. timekeepers. Uh, Mark Raner at the time was the executive director. <laughs> yeah. Other referees. I got 23 individuals in the movie, including Gaspar Indian Ortega, who got me uh, into boxing. I said, Gaspar, I called him to Connecticut saw Mike Ortega as a referee. I said, Mike, get your dad, uh, bring him down to, to Vegas, because I wanted him to be in the movie with me, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> so he was one of the commissioners. <laughs> That's great. He, he used the spot as the commissioner for the movie, because a real commissioner could, couldn't take five, six days in a row sitting there. So I bought Gaspar and I bought... Uh, a name a guy named uh andrew lashua a retired a marine soldier a good friend of mine yeah. I, I had him help me out with something do with doing for a handicapped individual i did his expertise and his tools yeah. to do some work at, at a handicapped home. I said, Andrew, I, I never pay you for that, but I can pay you with this. Yeah, I want, yeah, I want yeah. you to play the the role as a commissioner in the Rocky Balboa movie. So I got 23 people there. Amazing. And then every time we do a little shoot, yeah. Sylvester and I and Andrew and uh, uh, Anthony, uh, what's his name, uh, the fighter, Antonio Tava. Yes. Antonio Tava. Every time we did a, a shoot where there was 10, 15 seconds, we would stop. We lead over the ropes. We look at the monitors with the director and, and, and Sylvester. And he'll tell me, Joe, anytime you see something that doesn't look legit, That's great doesn't look real, he said, we'll do it over again. So we lead over the ropes and I would look with him. And i say, no, 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 no it doesn't look good there. He said, all right, let's do that take again. We did it. We did Eddie West for 10 to 15 hours a day doing the boxing scene for six days yeah. until we got what we wanted. So all the good ones that I put in that told that "Well, that one is good, that one is good. He went along with the good ones and we worked together as a team to make sure we got the right the right shoot. And then they, they when they did the editing, as you well know, editing is the most important mm, part sure. of putting a movie together. And of course, you know, the actors and whatnot but it was good, and they put it all together, and I said, "They look pretty. They did a decent job." Yeah, you know, with the editing for that movie. Well,
0: there's a badge of honor. Not only the Hall of Fame, been in a Rocky movie. I would take. I would just take a Rocky movie. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Not that I, I ever think that I'll be placed in the Rock <laughs> Hall of Fame. Well, listen, we're getting to the end of the the show. We'd just like to thank uh, Joe for coming in. We've um, it's been a successful uh, hour because we've got through an hour without. Uh, Joe here, bringing up Willie Pep, which has been great. Be
2: Willie Pep. Be. <laughs> Pep had 100, over hundred championship fights. I have a, Oh no! I have. <laughs> I, I have his boxing shoes. I have a, his actual real boxing shoes when he fought Sandy Seller. Yeah. before fought, fought four, him what five six times. Four times they fought. And Sandy Sadler beat him three times, and once uh, Willie Pep beat Sandy Sadler. Mm-hmm. I have the shoes uh, autographed by Sandy Sadler and Willie Pep, and those shoes happen to be his boxing shoes that he wore that night yeah. in the ring in 1942. Uh, those boxing shoes are at the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame yeah. here in Las Vegas. We have a Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame at the Boulevard Mall. Yeah. That's, oh. in, that's within the Heads Up Museum. And if uh, you fans that are listening local here locally or worldwide, when you're coming to Las Vegas, the the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame at the Boulevard Mall within the Heads Up, the Trick Art Museum, a must-see type of a museum. It's a trick art museum. You get into the picture, of the painting on the wall. It looks like you're part of that painting. It's unbelievable. So they gave us space for the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, they're open from. Yeah, 10 we had
0: Kevin. Uh, we spoke with Kevin Kelly, and he, he, yes. he. I think he's quite heavily involved with it, and he. Yeah. I've, I haven't actually had time to go down, but we'd uh, we'd very much like to. Uh, yeah,
2: give me a call. Let me down. I'm there almost every day.
0: Yeah, we'd love to do that. My my father's coming over next week, so I might. I'd love to bring him in. That'd yeah. be that'd be fantastic. But yeah. listen, Joe, thank you very very much for your time. It's been uh, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Uh, we very much appreciate it. Um, guys, don't forget to get onto Joe's Facebook and uh, follow up all the cool shows and stuff that's going on there. Check out the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame. And uh, we'll be back in a, a week or two with our f- next show. I'm not going to tell you who our guest is because we don't know yet.
2: It's top secret.
0: It's top secret. And but,
2: remember, uh, guys, I'm fair, but I'm firm. There we there go. Touch a
0: better up. way to leave the show. Thank you, Joe Cortez. Thanks, everybody. Grab us on social media, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Take care, everybody. ta da.